I'm Anna Rothschild, and this is Podcast 19 from 538. We're only a few weeks away from the general election here in the U.S., and unsurprisingly, one of the biggest issues for Americans this time around is how the candidates will handle the COVID-19 pandemic. Former Vice President and Democratic nominee Joe Biden says he can do better than President Trump. And Biden has a seven-point pandemic plan that he says can get the job done. But how different is it really? And does it address what experts say we need to improve on? To find out, I spoke to Crystal Watson, a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. During the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, I've been working to to help our public health and and healthcare uh, systems to uh, basically weather the storm. I want to talk to you today about Biden's um, plan to address COVID should he become president. But before we do that, I would like to sort of dig into um, what we know of the Trump administration's plan for dealing with the pandemic. How would you characterize sort of the main tenets of Trump's plan? I think the plan has a few components that have been a major focus. So Testing has been a significant focus, and there's actually a strategy that the the White House put out on testing earlier in the year. The other major component is uh, really focusing on developing these medical countermeasures, drugs and vaccines against uh, COVID-19. Um, and in addition, there has been some focus on supporting hospitals and public health. Traditionally, in a public health response to an emergency, we would see more leadership and more coordination at the federal level uh, from the White House, from the federal agencies, um, and specifically from the CDC. Um, their role has traditionally been to provide overarching guidance, uh, make recommendations to um, healthcare and public health, and also provide technical assistance as needed. And we have seen much less of less of that from CDC in this response. There was a, a Washington Post article earlier this week that said, according to a senior White House official, Trump's policy has been to protect the vulnerable, prevent hospital overcrowding, and open schools and businesses. Do you think he's achieved this? I mean, we have seen a very unfortunately high number of deaths. A lot of those deaths have come from people who are over the age of 65 and a significant number from people who have been in long-term care facilities and in nursing homes and, and people who are otherwise very vulnerable. But it's really hard to protect vulnerable people when you have very widespread transmission. Um, this virus spreads pretty readily, and so it's hard to fully cocoon somebody. Um, so I don't think that's been successful. Former Vice President Biden has released a plan to combat the pandemic should he win. The first part of the plan is to ramp up testing and tracing. There is no expert consensus on a recommended target for like the raw number of tests or the test rate per capita. Right now, the U.S. is at about a million tests daily. Given this, do you think Biden's approach of ramping up testing is necessary? I think we need to ensure the availability of testing supplies and that we have the facilities and the workforce to conduct testing if we have a surge in cases. And I think we saw over the summer that it was not adequate. We've had long Uh, delays for people to get their test results because uh, testing systems, laboratories have been overwhelmed. And so I think 
with additional coordination and resources for testing at the federal level, that could help us to uh, reduce the impact of surges in cases on testing availability. Much of the White House's approach to this has been to encourage testing, but leave it generally up to the state. So I think coordination at the national level will help. Biden wants to hire about 100,000 contact tracers. Do you think that's enough? It's much like the question for testing. There is no one threshold, and it really depends on the level of transmission that we're seeing. Uh, The 100,000 number actually came from a report that our center did back in early April. That was our recommendation as kind of a baseline level of contact tracers across the country that we need. Um, I've been working with NPR actually to do a series of surveys. The most recent one just came out today that looks at how many contact tracers we've hired nationally. And it's about a little over 50,000 is what states are reporting. Biden's plan also calls on the Defense Production Act to ramp up production of PPE um, so that our national stockpiles are fully replenished. How bad is our PPE deficit at this point? I do know that hospitals, despite being 10 months into this response, um, are still struggling to get basic supplies. And I think we will see additional shortages as we have surges in cases in, in different parts of the country. And I think we need additional focus on this at the federal level. It just hasn't been given the attention that it really needs. Do you think we could handle a surge if we you know, changed nothing and just kept with our current strategy? I think we've seen incremental improvements in testing capacity and supply chains for PPE, but not enough that would make me confident we could weather a surge without having shortages and testing delays. So if we see a surge, I, I'm pretty confident that we will again see shortages across the country, like we've seen in over the summer when we had some of those surges. Another pillar of Biden's plan focuses on masks. If he's elected, he would implement a mask mandate nationwide. Every American would need to wear a mask when they're with people who aren't part of their household. Given how contentious mask mandates have been, I wanted to talk to someone who's worked in public health at both the state and federal level about how feasible that would be. Just introduce yourself and tell me who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm Dr. Howard Koh. I'm a physician at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health and the Harvard Kennedy School. Dr. Koh was the Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of Health and Human Services in the Obama administration. And he served as the Massachusetts Commissioner of Public Health under a Republican governor. I wanted to hear from Dr. Koh how Biden could get Americans who don't want to wear masks to do so. This is the time for new public health social norms. I mean, there were days uh, that people remember when, you know, we didn't require people to use seatbelts. I mean, no no one would consider driving a car and not stopping at a red light or, or a stop sign. That's, that's just part of what we do to contribute to public health. I also like to stress that the, the way we message this is critically important because if we stress that masks are f- a form of boosting freedom and allows you to interact with people you love and helps you get schools and businesses back on track. That, that's the way to think about it. So it, it really helps us to try to get back to some revised sense of normal until a, a vaccine is ready. If a president just used that routinely and requested, required that his top 
staff do that, and that was just the accepted new norm, that would just go a long, long way. Clear, consistent messaging. Both Dr. Koh and Professor Watson talked about how this has been missing from this administration. And that's made it difficult for Americans to know what to do during this pandemic. Well, we know when a president acts and speaks, people pay attention and millions follow his lead. So just that simple act uh, could really have a huge impact on the pandemic response. And uh, what should we be doing together as one nation uh, to, to get this behind us? Other countries have shown how they have been able to get this under much better control than we have. Up until this point, we haven't had a clear statement from the White House, from the federal level, about what the approach to, to masking should be. And so that clear communication would be really powerful. It doesn't mean that everyone will suddenly comply with, with masking, because I don't think it will change a lot of people's minds who are very set on, on what they believe here. But I do think that for some people, that will make a difference. Something the president has been very vocal about is the development of a vaccine. Vaccines also play a big role in Biden's pandemic plan. His campaign has pledged to invest $25 billion in vaccine manufacturing and distribution. Do you think $25 billion is enough? In our past work on pandemic preparedness, colleagues from my center um, have really focused on manufacturing as a piece that has been not well addressed in our planning. So we've really focused on kind of the, the drug discovery component and the research and testing and evaluation by the FDA, but much less focus has been on manufacturing. So I think 25 billion specifically for manufacturing will make a big dent. And I really appreciate that there is a specific focus on manufacturing. I don't know if that's enough, but I do think it's a lot more than we've invested previously. To put that $25 billion in perspective, Moderna, which is developing a coronavirus vaccine, has received a billion dollars from the federal government as research grants. Then it received another $1.5 billion for 100 million doses of the vaccine before even getting FDA approval. And that's just one company. The government has similar deals with Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, and other pharmaceutical companies. So far, the Trump administration has budgeted $18 billion on its vaccine program, Operation Warp Speed. One focus of, of Warp Speed is really to um, invest in manufacturing and pre-manufacture vaccines in case they, they do end up being safe and effective. I think it's, the, it's really the best approach we have right now. Um, obviously, there will, will be waste if a vaccine doesn't make it through, but I think it's critically important to have as, much, as many doses as we can uh, once a vaccine is approved. So I, I think that's a good approach. So the Biden plan wants to provide funds to states that support teachers and first responders, give emergency aid to schools, and provide a restart package that helps small businesses. The campaign notes that Biden believes we must spend whatever it takes without delay to meet public health needs and deal with the mounting economic consequences. I know you're not an economist, but do you have any sense of how much <laughs> that would all cost? I really don't. It's it's. 
it's going to be so costly, but also so necessary to improve our response and to enable our economic recovery. I think one really important component of this is supporting workers who have to go out in the midst of this pandemic and put themselves at risk to be able to isolate uh, with pay if they're if they become sick or quarantine with pay if they are exposed to someone with the virus, if they have a significant exposure. There's been a lot of attention on the, the paid sick leave component of that. Less attention has been put on the, the pay for someone to quarantine. Breaking chains of transmission will be a lot easier if we really support people to stay at home. To that point, Biden has said he would lock down again if the pandemic really ramped up and got bad. Do you think this is a good idea? I think what we've learned over the past several months, which feel like (laughs) several years now, is that um, we can make these decisions in a little bit more of a fine-grained way than simply uh, implementing stay-at-home orders. I hope that that's not necessary. We've seen that taking measures such as closing indoor dining and bars and other high-risk activities can have a pretty rapid and significant impact on transmission. A lot of what we've talked about today is sort of moving the pandemic response from state control to more federal control, or at least having more federal guidance. Can you speak to why that's important, maybe looking at how other pandemics have been handled? One good example is the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. In that instance, we had some really great spokespeople from CDC that were very out front trying to um, provide really accurate and timely and consistent risk risk communication, um, providing states with resources and guidance. Still, the CDC and the federal government's role is is more a coordinating role and to provide uh, resources, fiscal resources, and other uh, technical assistance to states and locals. This will always be a state and local response, but I think we've seen in, in past public health emergencies, including 2009, that role has been very invaluable. And frankly, it was expected during this pandemic. And I think we've suffered a lot from that gap in leadership from CDC and the federal level generally. There was an article in the Washington Post recently about how some scientists went to the White House to talk about herd immunity, how it's something that's potentially being considered. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really, really dangerous conversation and should not be a policy that our government or any government is pursuing. The CDC recently has shown that a vast majority of Americans Uh, people living in this country are still vulnerable to this virus. And so by choosing to uh, let the virus spread relatively unchecked, which I think is is the idea that they are exploring, would mean um, many, many, many lives that are lost unnecessarily. I think it's really unconscionable, to be honest with you. Generally, how do you think Biden's plan compares to President Trump's plan for handling the coronavirus pandemic? I'm confident that it will be more evidence-based, 
more coordinated and more supportive of the response. I think there are elements of the uh, the Trump administration's response that have been good and successful and people have been working really hard within our federal and state and local uh, agencies to, um, to respond. But I think the coordination that is at least being presented here within the, the Biden plan will make a huge difference. Dr. Coe agrees. If we can have a situation sooner rather than later where the top scientists are empowered, the top public health scientific agencies are empowered, they can do their job and they know how to do it in this terrible, terrible crisis. Um, and we can rally people around the data and the evidence and about the power of prevention. That, that's the only way we, we can get this pandemic behind us. And that's what I'm hoping we can see sooner rather than later. That's it for this episode of Podcast 19. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email us a voice memo at askpodcast19 at gmail.com. That's askpodcast19 at gmail.com. I'm Anna Rothschild. Our producer is Sinduja Srinivasan. Chadwick Matlin is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. See you next time.